Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at the Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is Samantha Sweetwater. She's a civilization designer, a plant medicine guide, a spiritual executive coach, and a writer. She's often referred to as a wisdom carrier, priestess, regenerative systems expert, earth keeper, healer, and mama. Samantha is here to help. She's here to heal. And I'm so delighted that she's here today to share her wisdom. Samantha, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to start with, how did you get this wonderful name? Sweetwater. (laughs) Samantha Sweetwater, come on. Not everyone has a name like that. (laughs) Well, I was born with the name Samantha Jane Beers. I've um, had many names over the years. The first name that I received was Archana, which is uh, from Baba Haridas, who is my guru. Um. So there were years where I went by the name Archana Samantha Beers as a yoga teacher and and facilitator. And um, Sweetwater was interesting. I had been hearing Sweetwater internally for like eight years. And um, this was in my mid-30s, like early mid-30s. And Hearing like in in meditation? In meditation. It was like this, it was all, it kept being present in all my intuitive listening. And I thought, at that time I was teaching yoga and I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to name the, like the form that I teach is sweet water. Or maybe if I open a center, it's the sweet water center. And then, um, I was co-facilitating a retreat called the sacred union awakening retreat. That was about, it was about the inner marriage to oneself. And coming into that, my co-facilitators kind of all sat me down and they all said, you know, we don't really think your name feels like you. (laughs) I was like, hmm, okay, I'll take that in. And then um, it was a a gorgeous retreat at um, Harbin. We did a lot of of profound ceremony. It was not a psychedelic retreat, but we did a lot of embodiment work and we did um, made these huge Vesica Pisces mandalas that were really alchemical and worked a lot with the inner masculine and the inner feminine. And at the end of that retreat, I heard like loud and clear intuitively, your name is Sweetwater. And we were, we were all sitting in the Harbin kitchen. And I said out loud to like, this was after the retreat was over, but about half of us were still there. And I said, my name is Sweetwater. And everyone just said, your name is Sweetwater, and like scooped me up and took me to the pools and baptized me. So Sweetwater is my, 
I consider it a given name in a deeper meaning of what given is. It's not the name I was born with, but it's the name that was given to me by spirit. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've been baptized. It's the only name I've been baptized with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand because, you know, spirit gave me Banana Jane. And so it was, you know, I mean, what can you do? This stuff happens. Right. I've been baptized in bananas. I sometimes think, gosh, maybe I should have chosen Diamond or something because... <laughs> <laughs> but you know it is what it is right these mm-hmm. these yeah these stories find us and and what a lovely name and what a lovely story um it's hard i know it's it's in a way hard to present you because i feel like you are you know so um unpinnable in terms of you know who you are and what you do because you're obviously someone who moves through different wisdom practices and um you're, you're kind of always at the heart of learning and helping other people learn and grow on a spiritual level, which is kind of a hard thing to describe. But, you know, to the person less versed in this kind of spiritual journey work, can you help us understand your journey a little? Sure. I mean, just I suppose these days also the, the hat that I wear is I'm a spiritual teacher who's really grounded in the pragmatics of what it would take to create a sustaining civilization. And how that chunks down to how we live with each other in community, how our spirituality is connected to the material world and to our ethical choices as parents, as leaders, as economic beings, as consumers, as um, creators of things and businesses. Um, so I'm, you know, in a lot of ways, what that means is I wear the hat often of being a leadership teacher. I run a Mm -hmm. mastermind that is a psychedelic based mastermind that's focused on kind of a, a shift from being in a culture of separation to being in a culture of wholeness. Mm. What is that? What psychedelics do you use in that program? In that program, we work with San Pedro. Oh, okay. Okay, good. So we're going to get to that. All right. I'll try not to interrupt as you go. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, um, so to answer your question, like my journey has been a very, um, it's interesting it, it, in terms of normative models of like, I did what I was supposed to do. I went to school. I figured out what degree I wanted to do. I got a job. Not my narrative. <laughs> not You never not, did any of that stuff. I did go to college. I, uh, I um, but I, but I started in high school doing what, I wanted to do as opposed to what I was supposed to do. Ah, and what did you want to do? I, I started locking myself in the dance studio, in which, which was also the wrestling room of my high school. So I would lock out all the boys <laughs> at lunchtime and create dances. And then I started grabbing other kids and choreographing dances about spiritual states with no names and Jesus why God. there is war and peace and <laughs> what constitutes love and relationship. Like, and I started okay. doing that at 13. Yeah. And like the wow. first dance piece that I made was about war and peace and had voiceovers of Robert Frost's Fire and Ice. <laughs> and so you were just keeping it superficial at this yeah, point. Yeah, just superficial. Just, yeah, skating over the surface of things, yes. So, yeah. you know, one way to say that is that my life has been driven by the question of what, what does it mean to come home and what does it take to come home? Okay, let's uh, let's go further with that. Again, when you say come home, that has some resonance for me, but let's let's look at that. What does that what does that mean to the person who's not used to that phrase? 
Well, I like to throw the question back on the person because everyone, okay. al- almost everyone has a narrative mm-hmm. or, and, mm-hmm. and also multiple narratives actually mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what it means to have come home. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, you want to ask me? Sure. What does it mean to you to come home? I'd love to ask you. Um, <clears throat> I think there's, um, I feel like we all carry essences and I carry like the essence of who I am. It may not be a fixed position, but there are places where I find that essence. Like, so for me, it's like dancing, humor, connection, um, all the things that give me sort of simple bliss and joy when I'm in that, oh, this is just for fun state, right? Mm-hmm. To me, then I'm then I'm home with myself. And then, yeah, there's that feeling of total connection, which is uh, you cannot guarantee with other human beings, but it comes sometimes. And mm-hmm. and that sense of connection also feels like home. And then there are other aspects of home, like you know, landscapes that correspond to me with home, but it's not a single landscape. So then it gets more complicated. Right. So I guess to me, home is a feeling. Right. Yeah, your answer really tracks with what I perceive to be kind of a deeper human truth about what home is. And that there's there's an internal subjective, which can can sometimes anchor in meditation or a sense of like touching source and or the soul internally subjectively and there's an internal subjective that's about joy about Mm -hmm. being fully expressed and then there's a relational that is in people and when we feel really like we found our tribe or we found our person or with our family and then there's um relation to very specific home place Like what's one of the things that's been interesting when I ask people is a lot of times when people talk about their deepest wounding with home, often that actually tracks to having disruption with actual homes, like actual houses or actual their situation with rent or their situation with race and not feeling like there's a place where they feel like they can find their tribe or having it to do with, um, socioeconomic situations or with um, being a refugee or being an immigrant. Mm-hmm. All and, the survival stuff. Yeah. 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 And then there's another layer, which is like you said, places that touch us mm-hmm. and, and different people, especially where we are on a planetary level of different kinds of intimacy with different kinds of places. Some, for some, there's also like a deep affinity with the planet as a whole, as a home, right? So mm, sometimes, mm-hmm. or the cosmos as a home. Um, but all of those things, you know, one of the things I see a lot in spiritual world is that spiritual world kind of collapses into the internal subjective. So okay. come home to yourself, come home to your oh, soul, mm-hmm. come home to your... Mm-hmm. To also to your joy and your full self-expression, but which is all great, but alone, that doesn't constitute what makes a world where we yeah. can all come home together. Yes. So yes. Um, in some ways, I think my explorations around home have been very integral from the very beginning. Like I was asking questions like, uh, what has you feel like you belong somewhere, which is a related question. Right. Um, this is kind it's of related because it's from your yeah 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 question, yeah. But, no no no. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but I, I suppose in some ways I'm an expert in um, helping people to come home and in uh, exploring that in a very nuanced way that where we can enact that together. Mm-hmm. I always you like know. the we're all just walking each other home quote or someone, maybe it was you on Instagram, we're all just dancing each other home, which I, right. <laughs> I choose <laughs> when I remember I choose that. Um, okay. So, so basically you've, you've always gone deep. You're a, you're a deep diver and, um, and it sounds like that's just, I mean, that's a place of knowing for you, you know, you're here to go deep and to help other people, uh, do that too. Um, I want to talk about, I mean, if there's something else on your, your journey that comes up, please let me know. But I definitely would love to talk with you about San Pedro, um, which I feel is a really wonderful medicine and uh, I've participated with you in ceremony and and really had some wonderful moments of insight and experience with that plant that, you know, makes me feel so in awe of it because they, uh, what I learned has really sort of stayed with me and continued to unfold and they've been very kind of um, simple life lessons in a way, um, very sort of simple and heartfelt. But yeah, this is just me as someone who's kind of experienced it. You've really been working with this plant. So I'd like to just start really grounded with it. What is San Pedro? Where do we find it? What does it do to us? Great. Yeah, San Pedro is a cactus. It's a tall, generally not very thorny, straight cactus. Um, there are a lot of other species that look like it, so it's important not to just assume that all tall, thorny cacti are San Pedro. Right. It's not that average, like, regular cacti that you see all over the place well, in, often in the is. desert. It's, it's oh, actually okay. a very yeah. common ornamental mm-hmm. that you can often buy at Target or at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Target's selling plant medicine these days. That's just well, classic. It, they it's... have been since before anyone in America even oh, really knew it was plant right. medicine because it's, it's mm-hmm. a common ornamental cactus. And it's worth stating don't assume that it that it is a San Pedro unless you actually know the species of it because there are right. multiple varieties of cactus that look very, very similar. Right. But don't start munching on random cacti. No. No. Okay. And also to be yeah. actually even clearer about that, there are species of South African um I'm forgetting the genus name right now. Um but there's there's South African plants that are like mock cactuses, and there's a couple species that actually look very much like San Pedro, and they're quite poisonous. Oh, so okay. it's actually important. It is quite important to know <laughs> what yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. sure you know what it is. I would say always the case. No, if you're you're about yeah. to dabble with plants, you know, get clear. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so San Pedro is a is a tall thorny cactus that um, is indigenous and endemic to. Peru um, and uh, Ecuador and Colombia. Yeah, it's also called uh, Wachuma or Aguacola, and uh, the majority of I've only heard of li- lineages coming out of Peru. I don't have um, it's it's considered in some ways as a plant medicine, a bit of an orphan medicine. There's not there's not strong remaining indigenous cultures that are sharing their ways of working with it with the West. There are teachers in Peru, but a lot of them are also very syncretic 
in how they teach. They're very like kind of contemporaneous as opposed to coming from very deep lineages. There's very, Mm -hmm. very few existing strong lineage strands with original cultures with the Peruvian or the Colombian or the Ecuadorian medicine. It is true that San Pedro was central to the Chavin dynasty, which was a a thousand year civilization of peace that was in Peru prior to the Inca. And it's, it's a fascinating piece of knowledge about the medicine is that it was a medicine that was actually put at the center of a long-term sustaining culture of peace as community-based practice that helped people to um, really stay together and um, be in exploration of the nature of the universe together and be in restoration of their relationships together. We don't know much about what those practices look like, but we do know that San Pedro was at the center of the Chibian dynasty. Wow, and, that's fascinating. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the name detail. San Pedro is a, it's a colonizer's name. It's a name that was given by the Jesuits to the cactus who took the medicine and received access to divinity in a way that they had not ever experienced. So they named it after St. Peter, who has the keys to heaven. <laughs> so, so that name is a, it is a name from, it's the colonizer's name for it, but it's a very apt name in that it, mm. it speaks to how it's a gate opener to our, our palpable sense of divinity. Everything I hear about it and have experienced on it just seems like the most incredible plant. And, and I feel it's slightly unsung compared to ayahuasca. Oh, quickly. Uh, it is or isn't masculine. Is, is San is Pedro masculine? masculine? It yeah. is masculine. The other masculine containing um, cactus is peyote. Mm -hmm. Um, From a cultural standpoint, from a place of uh, reciprocity and respect, I I just don't recommend that people reach towards peyote unless you're uh, authentically invited to a ceremony being held by indigenous wisdom keepers. Yeah, I've Um, heard that. Is is the part, I I mean, obviously that context is different, but is the experience of peyote different from the experience of San Pedro? As a medicine? To speak to the context, peyote is a low, it's a small, slow-growing, old-growth cactus that takes a very long time to grow, and it's nearly extinct in the wild. It's one of, So the indigenous are asking that white people don't work with it because it, they're working very hard to yeah, cultivate yeah, and yeah, perpetuate yeah, yeah. a totally yeah. indig- endangered plant and a totally yeah. endangered culture. Yeah. Um, We don't have to grab every medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The experience of the two is a bit different. Like uh, peyote is is traditionally known as the the grandfather. It has a very strong, clear kind of disciplining energy to it. It tends to be a bit more visionary than San Pedro. It's also more purgative. It's almost, almost always guaranteed you will throw up on peyote. Um, and it helps us stay not away from always it, it? <laughs> that yes. helps. Yeah. That helps. <laughs> um, people call San Pedro the grandfather, but in my experience of it, it doesn't present itself. And in my conversation with it, it's not particularly interested in what gender we perceive it to be. It's, oh, it's very, um, it's a lot softer. It's actually a lot more, my teacher describes it as feminizing, 
Um, and that actually is part of the Peruvian conversation about it, not the so the, the, the categorization of it as grandfather is generally white Americans contrasting it with ayahuasca, ayahuasca yeah, and yeah, con- yeah. converging the narrative about peyote with the narrative about San Pedro, which are two very different narratives coming from two very different places. And I'm cultures. really glad you clarified this to me because it never sat right to me. I was like, yeah. this just doesn't feel like the... It doesn't feel like it wants to be a counterpoint to ayahuasca. It does. It's sort of like a moot point to ayahuasca. Like it's not, they don't need to, we don't need to compare and contrast and see how they work together. Yeah. I mean, they can be very complementary as practice, you know, in terms of an integrative practice. And there were traditions where they were used that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But in those traditions, it wasn't called, I have no, no evidence that it was called grandfather in those traditions whatsoever right right right, right, um, right. okay so there, when you if you sit with peyote you can understand why it is called grandfather <laughs> right so it's, it's it's a rougher ride it's more authoritarian yeah and uh and let's talk about the the ride that i mean i'm sure it results may vary as with all these plant experiences but overall through these years and from what you've learned what do you notice about San Pedro? What are the sort of characteristics of a San Pedro experience? San Pedro is an empathogen. So it's mm-hmm. it, it, in terms of the different categories of psychedelics. So psychedelic means mind manifesting. Mm. Entheogen means manifesting of divinity. And there's different categories of psychedelics or of entheogens. And- oh, wait, an empathogen. So we've got in psychedelic mind there's a classic psychedelic like yeah. like mushrooms are a classic psychedelic acid yeah. lsd is yeah. a classic yeah. psychedelic yeah it tends to be very the uh it tends to have a lot of um content in terms of what you see mm-hmm. or um yeah. connect with mm-hmm. and pathogens are much more anchored in the feeling tone um yeah. mdma is an empathogen there's a, com- right, a, com- there's a common yeah. comparison yeah. between yeah. San Pedro and MDMA, but San Pedro to me is a lot more grounded than MDMA. It's a lot less um, buzzy or like there's an intensity to MDMA, you know, where, where your jaw hurts and you, you have tons of energy and you're kind of like popping out of your skin with a feeling of, of love and energy but um, you're not always fully grounding into your own ex- uh, feelings and experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the in in a lot of ways, the thing the the distinction I use between MDMA and San Pedro is MDMA is like you're going to love everyone and everything. Like never decide that you're in love with someone on the basis of an MDMA experience because you are right. of course in love with them, but you yeah. have zero discernment. But yeah, you may also be in love with everyone else. That's right. Else. Yes. Where in yeah. contrast, San Pedro is like a, it's like uh, empathy plus discernment. Mm. It's, it's very deeply um, supports you to feel what is really in alignment and integrity for you. It's one of its characteristics that it is, it is both an elevation of love and an amplification of discernment. And my experience is that it allows 
for a certain level of quiet self-sensing that is grounded in, um, it, 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 it removes barriers to feeling your real feelings. So often, often, um, and this is true with MDMA journeys too, often where we get stuck is not in feeling too much. It's actually in being frozen from our more authentic feelings. Yeah. So San Pedro does, it liberates us to feel the authentic feelings and move with them and through them. And, and, and then it also, in a sense, helps you to get clear about what is really for you and what is not. That I got a really big lesson on when I was in that ceremony with you. And I may have reported this to you, but I'll share this story. You and I had decided it would be aligned and fun to have this ceremony. And we did. And we brought together a group of women. And I didn't know the group of women. And I didn't really know you. I mean, I had a good feeling that I was following. Um, and I'm a psychologist. And I'm a big thinker. And I love stories. And I love people. And I love to know their stories. And I'm like, oh, all the people are coming. And we're gonna, you know, find out all this stuff about each other and I'm going to just have this amazing rich download of experience of all these women and 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 I sat in circle and I took this medicine and it completely switched off my hearing it was like such a cosmic joke so when each person was talking I actually I could see that they were talking and I was aware that they were talking but I couldn't hear any I was deprived of content you know I couldn't hear any of the stories and what I could do the only thing I could do was actually feel them and what they were saying with my heart so I would sometimes find myself crying or feeling super happy when one woman was talking again no content but just a sense of where she was at and either resonating or not resonating. And I remember at one point, just this one sentence came in, not everything is for you. And it was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a, it was slightly grandfathery. You know, it was, it was a little bit of a, a sort of smackdown and, and in such a good way, you know, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, once I get over the fact that I, I've sort of the embarrassment that I'm so sort of rabid, to know everything and be everything, um, the very grateful for that humbling. And actually, it's quite liberating. It's like, yeah, we don't have to be everything. We don't have to know everything, you know. Not everything is for everyone. Right. I love that about San Pedro. It's very, um, my teacher says it's very lifey, like lifey being a non-dual adjective that helps, that also points to the fact that life isn't what you want it to be. Life is what it is, right? So it's like one of the prayers that we work with is like, help me to mind my own business. <laughs> uh -huh, yes. You know, and, and like that, help yeah. me to choose to be with what's for me and also set down what's not, which is yeah. you know, one of, I think one of the great sufferings of, of um, contemporary life is the illusion that everything is for us. It, it, you could, yeah. some people call it the tyranny of choice. It's like, yeah. we, we are trained to believe that all things are possible, but yeah. you know, in any given moment, all things aren't possible in any given day, all things aren't possible in any given process of parenting, all things aren't possible. You know, it's like yeah. limits are part of, Exactly. Right. It's just a whole bunch of yeses and nos, right? It's like, mm -hmm. this one's for me, this isn't for me, this is for me, right? We're just 
cruising through the yeses and the nos. <laughs> They're all there all the time. Um, yeah, okay. So, right, we're getting the sense of lifiness and I love this empathy and discernment and lifiness and being in the heart and overall, like, not being in the head. Do you find that generally it's it's mostly sort of felt experience? It's it's felt and it, it's a shift in where your ideational process goes. Mm. I think... It is, it is more body-based than it is um, mentally-based. It's actually a medicine where if you try to get aggressively intellectual um, or analytical, it, can, it will often give you a horrid headache. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I will also say that another description of San Pedro is it's like someone just ups your aperture for attention by two or threefold. Mm. And that includes attention on your own body sensations and kind of like the, the magnitude of, of your body sensations. It includes, sometimes it includes the visual field, not Mm. necessarily in a, in a super psychedelic weird way, but in a, in a amplification of like the, seeing the beauty of patterns and the beauty of your own eyes, like looking at your own eyes on that medicine is so fun. Or, um, I need to do that. Actually, I just, memory just came online of a really challenging moment I had uh, with San Pedro. This was a, a one-on-one experience I had with a practitioner who, you know, had this idea and uh, executed it. Essentially gave me a bunch of San Pedro, sat me in front of a mirror and was like, go. And he's like right behind my shoulder. And I was like, oh, this is confronting. And then my face is pressed up against the mirror. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to see it. And and then I'm like bargaining with the whole thing. I'm like, oh, the light's bad. That's why I'm just kind of looking shit today. And I didn't put any makeup on. And, you know, maybe I need some Botox. And maybe I can just, oh, that sadness in my eyes. I can just like, maybe I can just get rid of that somehow. I just need to not be looking here. And it was like all of these um, like subtle things that I might have on another day were just super amplified. Mm-hmm. And particularly this this self-critical thing of like l- the wrinkles and aging. And, and I was like, oh, man. And then, of course, you know, this is the point, I think, of being on a medicine journey and, and having someone else guide you. It's not about turning away. So I was I was stuck in this experience. And I was, as you said, sort of like the aperture of, of attention, you know, it was like, I was really, really experiencing this thing that's kind of around a lot, but it's, I hadn't like really gone into it. And it kind of like the whole thing started accelerating more and more and more like this battle, this futile battle with, you know, the process of aging and, you know, not looking perfect or whatever. And I suddenly, like, as it accelerated and accelerated, I could see how sort of pointless the whole thing was. And I burst through to the other side, and suddenly I was just laughing and laughing, like, belly laughing, clutching my sides, and just like, oh, my God, like, into the humanity of it, which is like, oh, wow, of course, people, oh, my God, it's so it's so beautiful, but it's so, like, crazy, you know, we, we cling and we, we try and stop this massive tidal wave of experience that's happening, you know, in our lives. We try and stop our own lives and, 
and arrive somewhere and it's so futile and it's such a joke but it was again it was a joke like it was funny not in and it wasn't in a mean way you know it was just like oh very loving it was just like oh people man we're so screwed you know and it was just so sweet in a way so yeah that was again a difficult experience but super helpful like I remember Mm -hmm. that quite a lot Mm -hmm. and I like it I really like it it shifts the attention Mm -hmm. yeah it really does it really does and it that is characteristic of an empathogen where all of a sudden Uh you can like cultivate this new relationship with the lifiness of it all like the 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 attempts to stop aging the upset at like (laughs) little things that you can't do anything about or the upset at big things that you thought were immovable but it turns out like the the lever is your own perspective and Mm. all of those things are really it's really a beautiful medicine for that the other um, thing that I work with San Pedro with really deeply that is incredible to work with on that medicine is prayer. Mm. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the pathway of prayer, there's, there's you know, Judeo-Christian formal prayers, but in a sense, prayer is a discursive process where you're talking to the larger universe. It's like you're talking through to and through your own God nature to the larger God nature that is the all and the everything and the one. And there's a way in which um, the the heart frequency of San Pedro is is truly the precise frequency of prayer, of amplified prayer. And um, Greg Braden wrote a great deal about that, and the Heart Math Institute writes a lot about that. And and uh, San Pedro is like the optimal amplifier it also can structure community as like a microphone for that prayer because that human listening is an amplification of divine listening not because humans in a circle are an audience for someone performing a prayer it's the it's the opposite of performance it's because human beings are amplifiers of of the divinity that is attuning to the prayer Mm-hmm. So I work with, with prayer in circle with that medicine. And that that is a very, very powerful way to work with it. Wow. Prayer in circle on San Pedro feels like the perfect antidote for our, uh, you know, performance-based, follower-based Instagram culture. Yes. It, it feels like a really good counterpoint, very healthy. Very so healthy. Why, why, is, why is San Pedro not all the... I mean, it may be all the rage. I mean, it's the one I'm thinking about a lot at the moment. It's the one I'm like, everything I'm, I'm just really resonating with it. I just think I like everything I hear about this plant, everything I've experienced. Why did it not become like, is it just less, because it's less of a, so it's less of a showstopper, like ayahuasca, you have all these crazy experiences. And I mean, is that it? Is it because it's less sort of glam, bam, thank you, ma'am, do you think? I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, something I haven't seen any writing about, but I just, I haven't seen many San Pedro. Like there's a lot of, a lot of shamans are authentically called by their guidance. There's been a lot of ayahuasca shamans who are very authentically called by their own guidance Mm. to come to the West and share the medicine because the West desperately needs it. Yeah. 
the equivalent of that, historically speaking, over the last 25, 30 years has not shown up around San Pedro. So like just if, if we look at it kind of from a cultural, anthro- a historical and anthropological standpoint, in a lot of ways, the first wave of ayahuasca coming to the West was instigated by two things, by like the kind of the Gordon Wasson who came to psilocybin, but other people like Gordon Wasson who went to Peru and experienced ayahuasca. It was also driven by ayahuasqueros getting called and bringing their bodies and their hearts and their practices and their medicine at great risk to the West, which, you know, recapitulates the cultural history of yoga coming to the West. It was, there's a very similar Mm. historical narrative about how the gurus ended up coming to America. It was all through guidance and through the, uh, the kick in the pants, the kind of forced assignment of their own teachers saying the West needs you go and being sent to America by their own teachers, because the teachers could hear in collective consciousness that the West needed the medicine of yoga. So there's kind of a recapitulation of that in how the first wave of underground ayahuasca came to the West then additionally to that, I think there's, there's a heck of a lot more bling to the ayahuasca experience than there is to the San Pedro experience. So there's, there's an obvious reason there that is about we, it, it creates big experiences that generate big stories that people want to listen to. They want to listen to the positive of it. They also want to listen to the negative of it. Both yeah. are limbically triggering Yes, and have us very stuff. interested. Yeah. Where the the San Pedro story is a much more subtle and much more psycho psychological s- subtle story. Yeah, they're humble stories. Yeah. So on that reason, I think that's true. And then I would say the third reason is like from the vantage point of the traditions where both ayahuasca and San Pedro was worked with. Ayahuasca actually was the first gate. It's like, it's the pipe cleaner. Um, it's going to go in and do uh, the gross work. You know, it's going to address stuff in a way that is not subtle. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of going to slam you in the face. And it's it, not that it always does that. It doesn't always do that. But, but it is much more likely to confront your deepest things head on and force you to deal with them and function kind of like as a rotor rooter on a soul level. Whereas San Pedro is much more about refinement. It's about choice. It's about deep self-sensing, deep self-alignment. It's about deep discernment in your field of relationships. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't talk to you in the same kind of way. It does sometimes talk to you, but it's a much more subtle conversation than the conversation with ayahuasca. So for all of those reasons, there's a much more uh, kind of in-your-face and obvious appeal to ayahuasca. And then San Pedro asks us to do much more like kind of literally at-home work. Like, how can you work with this medicine to slowly and diligently heal your relationships with your mom or with your child or with your own body? Um with your ability to communicate clearly. Um, yeah. 
that all makes so much sense. But this thing came to mind, and I don't know what you make of this. I'd love your feedback. Um, I was in Scotland uh, with a group of women, and it was actually a, a women's retreat that I was had sort of pulled together in the Highlands of Scotland, and uh, mm. I, I decided to take San Pedro there. And I did, and I was in this sort of... Um, I was in this house that belonged to my uncle. And um, so it was sort of, I guess it was an ancestral home and it belonged to the family. Very beautiful, these wonderfully sort of curated kind of gardens. And I was in these gardens and I'd taken the medicine and it suddenly hit me. And as it hit me, I saw this tiny red mushroom on the ground. And... (laughs) I was like, I knew knew that it had a message for me and I lay down on the ground and I listened to the mushroom and it had, I mean, this was one of the more quote unquote trippy moments of my life. This mushroom spoke to me. It was a Scotsman and he said, and he's really ferocious. I don't know if I can do it, but he's like, hey, listen up little one. You better know that this moment is only possible because the blood of your ancestors has been spilled on this land. And I was like, okay. Wow. And that was it. It was like this one moment and it was a very clear point and I was like, point taken. And I obviously really thought about that because we were having a very privileged moment of being able to swan around and enjoy, enjoy this beautiful environment and, you know, think about what we want to create and definitely not not in survival, in in thriving, you know. So very, very privileged. So, yeah, I bet, but that was, that was fully psychedelic, no? That's a beautiful story. I love that story. (laughs) It's it's funny, no? And it, and, but that's quite unusual, isn't it? For San Pedro to have something like that. I think there were mushrooms mixed in. I mean, I think that those things can happen with any medicine. Mm. You know, on some level, that that description of the expanded aperture of attention is true with all psychedelics. Mm. It's, I mean, there's different tones to it, right? But but you know, I I mentioned earlier, I mentioned before we started recording that I just came back from Africa and I was working with Iboga. Um, one of the points of integration of that trip is regardless of what medicine you're working with, we're increasing our access to the multidimensional reality of consciousness of the ancestral realms of um, the multidimensional nature of the universe and of consciousness, which, which includes the ancestral realms. It includes, um, the way in which that mushroom physically is rooted, was rooted into mycelial intelligence that like that same mycelium could still be living from when your ancestors died there, right? That that, that there was some aspect of field intelligence that was fruiting in that mushroom in that moment connected to the, the actual molecules of the actual blood that was spilled on that land, right? And that that all is part of a large, these layered fields 
that are all, you know, they all exist right on the other side of a veil and that that veil is not a physical veil. It's a psychoenergetic veil. It's the the ultimate veil that we pass when we die. And, and that that's always here. It's never not here. And so, you know, any medicine can help you access that in a right place in a right time. Like I've, I've seen things happen with mushrooms that I would never have thought would happen with mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I thought I had categorized that as something that other medicines would do. And then you're like, well, it was the right moment in the right time yeah. for that person yeah. and their soul yeah. to experience that thing because it's all this kind of like lock and key fabric. Well, exactly. I was just thinking like, you know, attraction, right? You're not always necessarily going to choose the same boyfriend or girlfriend at, you know each moment in your life right right we've got all these different variables and every kind of um combination of you know people and people and plants and then yes gosh (laughs) multi-dimensional consciousness um so so iboga huh whatever (laughs) yeah i'll just leave it there over to you what are you what do you want to tell us about iboga? Oh, uh, well, iboga is, it is a, a root. It is called the wood. It's the root of a, of a bush, of a large bush that grows, that is indigenous to uh, Gabon and kind of moving into the Congo. It grows naturally in the, the jungles there. The, the jungles there are really the other Amazon on the planet. So they're, they're where they are not, have not been logged. Um, they are intense and verdant and thick and super biodiverse. And the traditional culture that is, that is held the medicine is the Bwiti culture. There's many, many sub tribes in the Bwiti. Um, it's a very large grouping of many different subsects, but, um, the the rites and the traditions of the Bwiti are co they they are woven with the practice of working with iboga. So I've just come from Gabon where I did first level women's initiation. The initiations for men and for women are different, um, and it was a traditional Bwiti initiation ceremony. So the ceremony is the ceremony. The medicine is the medicine. And those two things potentiate each other. And um, I mean, coming out of those ceremonies, I mean, one of, one of the strong insights, I'm, I'm integrating a ton from that journey. I saw uh, you journey into a mirror and you, everyone has a different experience, but sometimes people disappear and go into other realms. Um, I kept splitting in half and coming back together and being shown other um it's shown at my ancestors and shown other lifetimes, other beings that I've been, um, I've shown other things as well. And, um, it's a medicine that, that works with your brain, the brain patterning with, uh, Iboga is different than other psychedelics. It's technically classified as an oniophrenic which is um, it induces REM brainwaves. So it's kind of like you're shamanically, you're learning how to navigate the dream realms, which are, it turns out are real. The dream realms are, um, 
it's hard to, I don't have a language for it, but it's like a body double of this world. So you actually can go to places and other times and other places and be there, which is quite profound. Um, It's very, very accurate medicine. It's the medicine of the soul. It reconnects you with your soul. Absolutely. And um, one of the insights coming out of that, that time and the ceremonies that I just did is, is the, the distinction between medicine and ceremony and how truly important it is that those two things collaborate. I mean, this is something that really interests me in terms of my work in the world is, is there's, there's working with psychedelics and there's a Western process of exploring what these substances are, what these molecules do for our brains and kind of exploring how we want to work with them And then there's also ceremonial patterns that are ancient and contiguous with various cultures, traditional cultures over time, where the the ceremonial patterns themselves have huge wisdom, um, both around how to work with the the medicines and how to collaborate with the kinds of consciousness that the medicine unfurls, and how to collaborate with the kind of ongoing process of stewarding culture and tribe and the maturation of individuals. Yeah. And uh, that's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah. Is how, how working with psychedelics, we can come to it kind of like spiritual tourists or also just like as a, as a complementary practice to our healing journey as individuals or we could come to it as people who essentially come out of a culture that's fairly bereft of wisdom traditions, slowly learning how to like braid the ancient traditions with, with emergent cultures that don't yet exist, like an ancient future that is wise oh, and thriving that. and beautiful and mm. where our soul essence is bound back into the beauty of life. Mm, I love that. That's, that's wonderful. So, Mm. A lot of what I'm bringing back from Africa, I'm bringing back immense respect and a deep sense that I'm a total baby when it comes to Iboga. Very, very powerful medicine. Um, I popped out of my body the first time I took it and collapsed. I would say I feel very uh, grateful for the care of the people who I was with and their wisdom and how to work with that medicine. Um, and um, it, uh, I also can, I'm coming out of that experience with a commitment to the, the, the fabric of culture around medicines, beautiful, beautiful. around psychedelics, I th- which I was yeah. committed to already. You were, yeah, I, you I, were already absolutely that. But now. yeah, and I, I would love to. I mean, I'd love to see you more and I'd love to to hear you more and I'd like to work with you more because you are you are a pro and you are a natural and I think those things you know braid together deeply in in your work and what you stand for and uh yeah I feel like you're you really you know here to help us bridge these these different worlds you know the the ancient world and and the future and uh it's this is exciting stuff Samantha you know, this is really, really good. Um, so I don't know if you want people to find you, but where can we find you? 
Are we allowed to find you? <laughs> My website is samanthasweetwater.com. Um, I'm actually, I'm about to do a big new platform, but, but that, the, that mailing list will sustain. So if anyone wants to find me, that's the best way to find me. Just sign up for my mailing list there. And, um, if you want to leave a note that you're interested in one life circle, one life circle is my church and we will be starting circles again fairly soon. I'm not exactly sure what the COVID protocols for that will be, but that will be happening. And I also um, do masterminds called uh, the Sacred Leadership Council. Um, We're reconfiguring the framework for that right now, Um, but there will be things coming up next year. And I will also be doing a, a training program for guides and people who want to integrate their existing training in Western psychology and or group facilitation and coaching um, with um, neo-traditional, with ancient future models that honor indigenous lineage, that anchor us in uh, a deep knowledge of history and uh, of the plants and um, support best practice moving forward in community frameworks. Wow, yeah, so, please keep us posted about that. That's, that, that's, uh, that's going to be a lot of demand, I think. I don't think you're going to be short, yeah. short of customers for that one. Uh, okay, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, my dear. What Samantha left me with were some highly medicinal words and phrases. So I'm just going to say them now. Empathy and discernment. The lifiness of life. The heart frequency of prayer amplified. The extended aperture of attention. Increasing access to the multidimensional nature of consciousness. And the simple but endlessly profound expression, homecoming. Thank mm-hmm. you.